0: The years, 39XDX, and the only remnant of human culture is a glittering black box rotating balletically in the cold dark of space, inside, scenarios, supplements, and tools for the role-playing game that ended the world, Mothership, it's OuterRimUprising.com, that's our sponsor for today, brought to you by the Lost Bay, Uh, it's on Kickstarter, that link OuterRimUprising.com will take you right to the Kickstarter, it's funded, so you can just get it. Go do it. It looks super cool. Um, this is RTFM. This is the 50th episode.
1: Whoa. I'm, <laughs> we're, I'm old. Yeah, we're, we're old. Yeah, we're old podcast. <laughs>
2: we're also uh, not reading, like, a game book today, and I don't know if that's, like, the perfect thing to be doing on the 50th episode uh, or if we're shirking tradition. But uh, with us today chris Bissett, very excitingly chris do you want to like introduce yourself give people a an idea of who you are what you do
1: no yes yeah uh hello i am chris Bissett. i am a writer person from the uk um i write games and adventures and things and i'm very bad at introducing myself on podcasts um i run a website called loot the room and i publish adventures for games like uh Borg and my own game a dungeon game and i do freelance writing for like pathfinder and hunter the reckoning and fallout and games like that
0: are you on any social medias or have they just
1: oh i am yeah Uh, i'm on twitter as at pangalactic uh, until that site dies, and I don't know what my names are on the other sites, because I'm one of those people with, <laughs> who picks a new, different handle for every website I've ever joined, and I couldn't possibly tell you what they are, but I'm on, I'm on all the social medias somewhere.
0: Yeah, please check out Chris's work. Um, Chris is the perfect guest for this, because today we are covering the Principia Apocrypha, which is um, kind of collected wisdoms. Uh, for OSR old school gaming, old school renaissance we'll get into that more but uh, this is a free PDF it was published in 2018 it is a collection of materials written by Ben Milton who writes the Questing Beast like is the video reviewer at Questing Beast, wrote Knave Uh, and by Stephen Lumpkin who's a blogger and David Perry who's another blogger, illustrated by Evelyn Moreau um, you can get it at lithyscaph, L I T H Y S C A P H E dot blogspot dot com. Um, yeah, it's like a, a foundational non fictional text, I guess.
2: <laughs> uh, Did anyone have anything to add? Should we dive in? <laughs> It's our, it's our, we were originally going, as we said many times, we were, this was going to be the OSR season, and then we decided that we didn't want to be uh, limited by labels or whatever. Uh, and small. this was going to be our like, okay, what is the OSR? So we have to read this thing. <laughs> and then, And then also invite a person who is, I think... More invested in the OSR than we are ourselves, as as outsiders, as moonlighters, I suppose. Uh, in the OSR, we're like we need other, we need help. I need, a, I need an OSR adult, please. Somebody, you chose uh,
1: me. Yeah, we
2: did. Wow, we're, gonna, we're putting the world, the OSR world, on your shoulders. Bold. Zero everyone energy. else,
0: everyone else has been canceled. Chris, you're the last that's, one left. That's very true. <laughs>
2: Oh no, is this the moment? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Famous last words. Uh. Uh,
0: um, yeah, this is like a pretty short PDF. Uh, what, 30 some pages? Um, yeah. There's a whole introduction. It explicitly calls out the GM principles in Apocalypse World and is sort of uh, seeking to replicate that, which I thought was interesting. Um,
2: yeah, it's interesting because in, in my mind the OSR, like, not that these things aren't always in conversation, but it's interesting that it is, like, how about we take this stuff from story gaming? Take yeah. these principles from story games, this format from story gaming, and try and apply
1: it to... It is interesting. Not, not that. <laughs> it is interesting, because there's this whole, like, I think, like, the mythology of games, if you like, is that, like, the OSR and story games are, like, diametrically opposed, but they actually both came out of reactions to D twenty era drag games, so they're both largely trying to achieve some of the same ends, just from different directions. Um, so you do really see some crossover, especially in stuff like the GM principles in Apocalypse World. Like I've said for years, that a lot of, especially kind of first gen PBTA games, if that makes sense, like Apocalypse World and Dungeon World, etc. Are played in a very osr style because they all kind of came out of the same soup if that <laughs> makes good, any sense good soup,
2: good soup. <laughs> good primordial gaming soup
1: uh, uh, someone will be very upset with me for saying that but i really don't care i mean well, it we makes can sense go,
0: we can go through it so the first big quote that i pulled out is from ben milton and it says the more of the following a campaign has the more old school it is and there's a list mm-hmm. high lethality an open world lack of pre-written plot Emphasis on creative problem-solving, exploration-centered reward system, disregard for encounter balance, and the use of random tables uh, to generate world elements. Also, a strong do-it-yourself attitude and a willingness to share your work and use the creativity of others in your game. Out of all of those, I feel like a disregard for encounter balance? No, that's in Apocalypse World. They don't care about that. There's, I guess, there's not a lot of random tables in Apocalypse World, no. and there's not an exploration centered reward system. <laughs> um, but other than that, I think you could check all of that stuff off, including the do it yourself attitude, willingness to share your work, like that. All was coming out of the Forge and stuff like yeah. that. Um,
1: and I think I have problems with the term high lethality, which we can talk about later. But I would, I've been, excuse me, I've been replacing the term high lethality with high consequence when I talk mm-hmm. about games. And I think mm. that applies to PBTA as well in a lot Absolutely.
2: of ways. Yeah, it's funny that they also went in, I mean, maybe this isn't true always, but like what I think of is like OSR games now are usually very short and PBTA <laughs> games are extremely long. <laughs> and so the, the whole like, yeah. the so much of it is like, don't, over focus on the rules <laughs> and I feel like that <laughs> is the part that PVTA is really bad at because <laughs> there's just like here's 300 pages on either and it's not 300 pages of rules but it's 300 pages of rules and the explanation of their use usually <laughs> and so like that feels like very opposed as the if I had to yeah. if I had to highlight what I feel like is the largest divergence of those two design principles in practice
1: like The reason this book exists, Principia Apocrypha, and it even says this in the introduction, it says um, many rules like games in the old school style don't include much guidance on actually running the game, which is true. And it's a big problem with these games because they assume a huge amount of knowledge that players don't have. Um, And so I think that's why you end up with the 400 page PBTA book because PBTA games don't assume that knowledge in a lot of ways. And so you do get all the rules being explained Sometimes they go a little too far. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's, I think it's a it's a noble effort, at least. Yeah,
0: we we can call games too too long. You're here among friends. If you're doing that, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. We're like teams. every game. Please Everyone worry. makes fun of us because that's just you can slot
2: that into every episode. Um, just
1: pre-recorded that bit Yeah. Also, Aaron,
2: Aaron's always like well, every game could remove 10% and I'm like every game could remove 40% <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm much more I'm much harsher about
0: that than I feel like Aaron is uh, um, so yeah the introduction kind of goes through that that's what this is you use these principles um, and then it describes the old school renaissance or OSR as a scene or community and um so this is 2018 you know we're halfway through trump uh twitter is still huge g plus has died which is where a lot of osr stuff was being built um and so this person is saying as with any other community it's composed of all kinds of folks sharing ideas with one another inevitably some of these ideas will be strongly held opinions Uh, Mm -hmm. drama, miscommunication, conflict, and harassment can and will happen. Uh, And it's up to its members to foster and maintain a healthy environment for themselves and newcomers. So this was just such a wild thing to read in this because it's like, oh, sorry, harassment, it's gonna
1: happen. <laughs> <laughs> this there's was no pre, sense. Um, zackening as well, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. There's yeah. no
0: sense of like, hey, don't be a shithead. It's all just
2: like people. <laughs> can't are we cannibal- all just
1: get along? No, actually, we can't.
2: <laughs> right. Fuck you. Yeah. Also, the shitheads are probably not shitheads. They probably are just trying to help you.
1: All <laughs> oh, right. There's a line
2: somewhere <laughs> yeah. about like probably. Uh They're just They're they, not they
1: just misguided Yeah,
2: and they're like, <laughs> views might be different than yours, but you can assume that they just have the best interest in trying to make sure you're having fun and I'm like, oh, mm, these are not assumptions that I would take to heart. No. Also, not to me what a community is <laughs> A community is not that a, a place I go white man to be religious. harassed uh, Yeah it's, That part is funny It's very yeah. funny I would, maybe this is not an important statement but i feel like games spaces are fan spaces not community spaces and that difference is important to me as a homosexual
1: <laughs> but that's... i think that has um become even more so the case over the last few years as well
2: yeah it's, like, bad. it's bad it's been some bad yeah. years it's been bad
1: yeah they're becoming some some games that i'm not going to mention are becoming like lifestyle brands now <laughs> I, mean,
0: I mean 5e for sure you can yeah, <laughs> <the big> <laughs>
1: Uh, it, is, it is it was
2: fun to read because i feel like uh as a person who like went through my own awakening uh away from D, largely because of 5e um mm-hmm. without any community support for the most part like i didn't I didn't find the OSR. I didn't find the blogs. I didn't find a forum and then get, like, lured away. Uh, I was just like, this sucks. I got to <laughs> go, go hunting for something else. Uh, and it is interesting to think back and be like, oh, so many of these things are thoughts that I had when I was leaving or thoughts that I had in, directly in response to being like, 5e sucks. Or, I hate the uh-huh. experience of playing 5e. Um, and it's nice to kind of have them.
0: You mean the later okay, parts okay. of the book, not...
2: Yes, the, like, actual principles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's segue into <laughs> that. Let's stop talking shit. Maybe not. It's part of the community, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so, the PDF. Big, nice headings. Thank you, PDF, for the very big headings.
2: It's so much prettier than the last time I read it. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> uh, it starts with, Be an impartial arbiter. And kicks off with probably the biggest, and it even says, the primeval old-school principle. (laughs) Rulings over rules. Um, I feel it's hard for me not to just read a lot of this out loud. Um,
2: I think that's fine. I think in this case it makes sense. We're reading a short thing.
0: There are some choice quotes, but the big one here that I really enjoyed is that uh, there are often minimal or no skills or feats. This is a feature, not a bug the flexibility this openness allows is a big part of the appeal of old school games. Um, and they kind of get into that later in the player principles as well, but so from a GM standpoint, there's rulings. You get confronted with a weird situation, you figure it out, you try to be fair, but it also applies to players. Um, when presented with a problem, don't expect to use your character skills or abilities on it. Investigate it by asking questions and describing what you try. Um, That's one of those things I think is really easy to say yeah, and then really hard to teach, especially when you hand someone a cool looking character sheet or an overwhelming character sheet with cool evocative terms on it.
1: Yes. This is one of my big criticisms of this book as a whole, actually, is that it makes some really broad statements and a lot of them are good, but then it doesn't give you anything like actionable. Like there's no it's right. desperately in need of examples i think this entire book because i don't i mean it's hard for me to look at this coming from the background that i come from because i i know what rulings over rules means and i know you know how what it looks like in play but like um i guess for either of you like reading that does that if you read that and then you sat down to run an osr game does that help in any way <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, so my dark secret is that I was on G plus it's been uh-huh. like 2013 and reading these blogs and stuff. And so I feel I have been OSR pilled. I feel comfortable yeah. with this, but it's because I've spent so long with all these paratextual resources yeah. and like internalized them and practice them that I can't take my brain out of that state and come to this as like a, a, a pure yeah. uh, document.
1: Absolutely. Like I, say I think no. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, it says very early on in the book that, like in the first paragraph, that um, newcomers might feel quite lost or have a bad experience running or playing these games, and that the aim of this book is to help with that. But then I think it assumes the same level of, like, metatextual paratextual knowledge that it says you won't have in a lot of ways. Yeah, which I think it's really funny. Like, it it just feels to me. And please cut me off if I'm getting on a soapbox. No, I love it. Um, <laughs> but, like, like I just did Mossmiller's Maze, my adventure for my game, and I did, like, two little pamphlets with it for explicitly to help people who don't know how to play old-school games get a handle on it. And I spent a lot of time talking to people who only play modern trad, like 5e and Pathfinder, et cetera, and talking to them about, like, what are the things that put you off about OSR games? What are your preconceptions about these games? What stumbling blocks do you think you would have? Because I have no idea. I can't. I've been playing these games since 1994. I don't know what it's like to come to them fresh. Um, And I think it, it becomes increasingly clear as you go through this book that nobody's actually spoken to somebody who doesn't know about the OSR <laughs> while writing this
0: book. <laughs> right. I think it... The book works best when it is here, we're saving you time. You don't have to go through 50 blog posts. We've Mm -hmm. kind of boiled it down into some good pointers. It does not work as this is, and it's, this is a starting point. It works for people who are maybe used to it and don't want to go through dig up those blog posts again and need these bullet points. And I think on that level, it succeeds yes
2: yeah as a person who does not want to read the blog posts like i think there's also this like weird i mean it's very it's surprisingly authorial for something that says rulings not rules as the first thing right like and so much of the book is like make your own like I just it's not I find the just make your own call the least useful thing that everybody Mm -hmm. puts in their in their game books like yeah I can actually make my own choices I don't need your permission thank you very much every game book on the planet obviously like if we're going to assume one basic knowledge or one basic skill of RPGers I think it's They can make choices, you know, like there is like we don't we assume a lot of other things that I don't think we should assume. But uh, but for whatever reason, that one gets said a whole lot. And as a person who is newer to it. I don't want to read all your blog posts. I don't want this to be my identity. I'm not actually interested in the OSR <laughs> being my identity and spending all of my free time studying how the history works and what this conversation came from. Like, I think if that's a thing yeah. you're super into, obviously that's great. Everybody should have their hobbies. But like the, I think the biggest, <laughs> my my answer to the biggest turnoff of the OSR, um, even though you didn't directly ans- ask me, is uh the community for sure like the mm-hmm. way that people the way that people within the OSR community talk about what OSR is or isn't and the yep. like it's so off putting and also totally. like not interesting like i said this in the discord the other day (laughs) it's not interesting it's not interesting like it's not interesting i said this in the discord the other day but like it's like music genres like nobody has ever enjoyed a conversation about what does or doesn't count as a music genre except people who have some like identity reason to hold that boundary you know
1: yeah and it's like... like when you turn up to the metal society in your first year of university and you're wearing a Converge shirt and they say oh well that's actually metalcore you can't be here <laughs> fuck off
2: that sounds very specific that sounds that's like very a very specific, specific. example <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it's the same thing as like and maybe this is part of the like maybe this is part of why it's such a turnoff for me but like it's the conversation queers have been having forever right like any form mm-hmm. of gatekeeping any form of like boundary definition and holding a line about something ultimately is just off-putting usually to like the best people that could be in a space. Yeah. Uh,
1: and you know, the difference being that like in queer communities, it's often a matter of safety, whereas in gaming communities, it's yes. often a matter of not that.
2: <laughs> yes, it, yeah, it is the, oh, we started letting straight people into our bar and then the bar closed a year later. Like there's, yeah, a, there's exactly. a direct reason for those yeah. things in, other, in many communities that are like actually identity-based communities, the like voluntariness of gaming space. Um, yeah, like, I'm
1: sorry you got bullied by the jocks when you were 12 for playing D&D, but it ain't the same. <laughs> uh, uh, I, but I think there's also an aspect, too, of, like,
0: specialists. And this mm-hmm. comes up in music stuff. It comes up, like, at in education or in business as well. Like, we do want people to specialize and get in the weeds because sometimes that is how we get new discoveries or uh, create processes for things, but it's that classic thing of, like, someone way out there in the weeds who's been spending all their time doing this is not necessarily the best person to communicate to someone new to this.
1: No, like, I think so, about this a lot in terms of... Sorry, I keep cutting you off. I'm really sorry. No, no, go ahead. I think about it a lot in terms of, like, academia, because mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the history of RPGs and in the development of dungeon games, specifically, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I have a Master's in English Lit and Creative Writing. I'm really interested in literary theory, etc. All that work's really important, I think. But if someone wants to talk to me about a novel, it's of, it's of no use to them. <laughs> <laughs> right. They don't need to know about Lacan to talk about, <laughs> I don't know, a novel, you know? Yeah, I and think It's, about it's this... a similar thing.
2: I think about this often as well, as somebody who, like has my dark past in academia. Uh, And also, like, just really, like, that is a thing I nerd out about, you know? Like, I will voluntarily read some nonfiction um, Mm -hmm. about things and also, like, spent a number of years, like, studying games in particular, usually digital games, but mm, the the boundary is porous. Um, And I think there is a lot of value in that, but I also think that, like, there's so many, like, Academia is one of those weird things and scholarship in general is one of those weird things that like from the outside, people are like, oh, there's so many processes to like affirm expertise or like affirm knowledge. And on the inside, you're like, Meh, everybody's just kind of <laughs> shit talking one another. And like and often the most interesting observations and developments in any kind of like knowledge, development of knowledge practice is from people who aren't in that field. Right. Like it yeah. is often somebody who is new to something who looks at it and is like, but what about this though? And you're like, "Oh my god, we've been it, we've been up to our we've been up our own asses for so long that we totally forgot the what about this." <laughs> uh, totally. And, and so I feel like it like those things have to remain in conversation. I think about this a lot because I think about expertise a lot and I think that expertise is generally a harmful concept while also being really personally compelling. <laughs> uh, so we, well, I'm I'm the- I, I would, would
1: agree with this. that.
0: It's it's also difficult like you know being still in the middle of a of a worldwide pandemic to be like let's not talk about expertise is like well that's (laughs) part of how we got into our current problem like we do need experts and then we need someone to communicate from the experts to people who don't know like it's like you said it's in communication i think we can have both good parts i think we can have experts and we can have people who are more iconoclastic
2: I also think it's different when you're talking about science. I think it is an important line to draw
1: around science for sure. You you need an expert architect because if you don't have an expert architect, your building will fall down. But (laughs) you don't need to be an expert in the history of Dungeons & Dragons derived role-playing games to write a role-playing game. Because what's the worst thing that happens? You write a bad game, nobody dies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know, and it's, like, it's a scale. fingers crossed chris fingers crossed, <laughs> knock on wood
2: <laughs> so many little yes. little fictional guys die um, <laughs> yeah and it is like and there is no ex- i guess for me it's like i i've i i push back a lot against the idea of expertise in creative fields because it comes along Same. with like you know people it's usually just comes along with like harmful ideas of like authorship and whatever right, right? like yeah. it's the stupid it's this whole stupid thing and i'm like mm, you can it's
1: usually just a a big stick people use to say actually i know more than you stop talking
2: yeah or i can charge more for whatever it is yeah. that i'm producing yeah and it's like actually sometimes your doodles are way better than the person who's been setting illustration for 20 years sorry about it yes. like myself included right like i, I the craft of the things that i participate in is incredibly important to me so i recognize that these things are often in conflict uh same (laughs) that doesn't mean like i'm like yeah i do think photographic craft is really important that doesn't mean that sometimes there are people out there who just took their first phone photo and it's way better than anything i've ever produced (laughs) well and we can
0: have (laughs) we can have both i can look at your photo and the other one and enjoy them both and that's a little you know that's a couple minutes out of my life i'm not on a desert island (laughs) <laughs> I'm not dying at the moment so I feel okay being like ah, oh, I'm gonna read this well-crafted amazing novel and then I'm gonna read this weird pile of nothing and I enjoy them both that's okay
1: and I do we... actually read Dan Brown from time to time and that's fine I was just thinking about
2: reading it the Vinci Code because I haven't yet and but whatever that's a whole other thing and i was like yeah. well, maybe i want trash maybe my brain wishes for trash maybe i will read this
0: uh, <laughs> oh you two are experts i thought it was pronounced da vinky <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
0: yes. i'm just kidding I'm um just
2: kidding. yeah i also like if we didn't you know this is whatever everybody knows this but like if we didn't live in late stage capitalism the value of our work would not be important we would just do our work because mm-hmm. it brings us joy right like yes. we do we would not need to attribute value to the things we produce in the world that is capitalism so like yeah you know, free your And you can actually
1: see, to pull us vaguely back onto... <laughs> I was just the, uh, thinking,
2: like, we are getting way off track.
1: Yeah, you can actually see that kind of commercialization of this sort of stuff happen in real time. Like, if you look at products like Knock, for example, like yeah. they are all blog posts, for the most part, that people produced over the past decade, 15 years, for free because they were passionate and their work didn't have to have commercial value. And as the field has grown and as the world has got shittier and more expensive, the drive to kind of productize within the OSR and within games in general has really ramped up and increased.
0: And it's very um, funny to me because before blogs, people did get paid for that stuff. People yes. are always like, I, how dare you publish this zine? That's just That should just be a free blog post. And it's like, well for free blog posts you got paid to write for magazines it's just that magazines don't exist now. like, <laughs> yeah i want people to be able to do things without worrying about pay but i also want yeah. people to be able to afford food and stuff so it's it is like a constant push and pull and a weird up and down cycle of it really is when stuff is valued and when people need that money
1: we're swinging back into um i'm not going to pay for homebrew territory now I've noticed a a big uptick in people saying, Why would I pay you for that when I've put out new things recently? Oh fuck you. Because I have a mortgage, (laughs) that's why.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because this is my job. I do and I do think I do think there is some I don't know, this is weird. I do think there is some difference between people who do a thing as their job and people who do a thing as a hobby. Like I do think there is a financial line. But also but for me it's less about like the ideas of expertise and more about like the ideas of commitment, you know, like if you Mm -hmm. wake up every day and you're committed to doing something for multiple hours that day, I do think that has slightly within the frames of we live in a capitalism world. I'm like, I see that as slightly more valuable because that person has invested more of themselves into that process. If then. it's just
0: one hour, it doesn't count. Max, and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go straight to hell. But.
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a weird thing where I'm like, I want to support people's ability to invest more of themselves into stuff. And the only right. way that I, we actually can make that real right now is usually to give them money, which yeah. sucks. I also vote, but, like, you know, that only works middlingly well sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: only works when they let you do it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It only, it only works when you have meaningful choices in that vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is so the OSR. The OSR. It's it's interesting <laughs> because it does feel like like so much of so much of that back so much of the backlash socially feels like it's also like against the productization of the whole scene mm-hmm. and yet most of those voices have their own product lines, so like <laughs> Yeah You know, totally. like there's it's not whatever, none of those lines are clean is is no. all I'm really saying. Um and it feels it the
1: intersection of capitalism and art will always be very very messy yeah there's no avoiding that
2: and it feels weird to be it feels really weird to me as an outsider to always be really hard-lined about what is or isn't osr when fundamentally what osr is is a conversation about gaming
1: yeah and and largely these days osr Mm -hmm. is just a marketing term
2: yeah (laughs) It's just like, vibes. It's just vibes. Yeah,
1: it's literally is becoming increasingly meaningless, and I'm partially responsible for that. I make no apologies for that.
2: <laughs> is there... I feel like part of the reason that we can... Aaron, I do think that you actually reading the, the PDF is very useful for uh, keeping us <laughs> on track. <laughs> uh, but I was going to say, like, Chris, are there, like... Are there defining principles for you? Like, when you're like, I'm going to make an OSR product which is i you know for the most part most of the things that i are from an outside again from outside view most of the things that you seem to release seem to fit into that yeah is that like a meaningful internal definition or is it just marketing
1: (laughs) both (laughs) Yeah. yeah um yeah i mean so i i write Primarily OSR things when I'm doing adventures these days, but I also kind of freelance for, um, you know, PIZO and I used to write for Five E on the DMs Guild, and there is definitely a very very different approach in writing for those like modern trad games than there is for writing for an OSR game. Um, it's hard to pin down exactly what that difference is. I think. There's much more. Like, if you look at the the principles that kind of that Aaron read out at the start, that um, it quotes, that this book quotes from Ben Milton, are pretty pretty good um, in terms of defining what old school play looks like and what old school kind of, I guess, products are concerned with. Um, when you write for like Pathfinder or Five E, you often have to be much more What's the word I'm looking for? Um, prescriptive about things mm-hmm. um, because of that difference in play style a lot of the time. So, like, there's the principle, um, is it in Milton's paragraph? Let me click. So, that emphasis on creative problem solving, which um, Principia Apocrypha later kind of clarifies, means that um, players are going to look more to the fiction at the table. That's another one of the things that I think OSR and story games share in common is a focus on like fiction-first gameplay. Um, Players are going to look at what's happening in the fiction in order to solve problems, and they're not really concerned with like what buttons they have on the character sheet that they can press to get results, if that makes sense. Um, So you can just write shit and trust that the GM and the players don't need an answer for how to solve this in the text itself. Whereas when you write for modern trad, that playstyle is much more focused on how everything functions within the rules and how kind of characters express themselves and who they are through interactions with the rules and their their abilities on the character sheet. Um, and this isn't to say that players playing trad games aren't creative, and this isn't to say that there's no value judgment from me here. It's just a different playstyle. Um, like one example I wrote an adventure for um, MCDM's Arcadia magazine which was I think it's now finished a really good third party fifth edition magazine that published like adventures and classes and things like that that Matt Colville ran and James Intricate was the editor of Um, and I wrote a funnel adventure so I took the idea of the DCC level zero funnel and ported it over to 5e and the idea of a funnel if you don't know is that you control like four or five characters who are very very bare bones and you throw them into this very high lethality meat grinder dungeon and the character that gets spat out at the end who survives becomes your character for the rest of the campaign um and so the first encounter i wrote for that adventure was this kind of very thick horrible sludgy river and if people tried to just wade across it the water would pull them under and they would drown and then they play tested it and i got the play test reports back and i think of the four groups that play tested it two of them had tpks to that first encounter because the play <laughs> style and the play culture so the players funny, just assumed it? that they could <laughs> just keep throwing characters at it and making ability rolls, and eventually one of them would succeed none of them were like, okay, GM, like are there any rocks we can use to make a uh, stepping stones? Is there a tree that we can pull a branch off to make a bridge? Or you know, nobody thought outside of the box of their character sheet to solve that problem. And so I had to go back into the manuscript and sort of like write solutions into the text. Whereas if I was writing that for an OSR release, it would literally just be what I originally wrote, which would be like, yeah, there's a river and you'll drown if you go in it, fucking figure it out. <laughs> I
0: had almost the exact same experience writing for this big ish five E anthology. And oh, it was yeah? like my classic approach so is always like, here's these two factions, neither one's fully right, or mm-hmm. you decide which one is right kind of thing. So I wrote that and then I wrote at the end like, if the players follow exactly this faction, this sort of bad thing happens if the players follow exactly this other faction, this sort of bad thing happens. And the editor was like, this is so depressing. Why are those the only things that players can do? You're limiting (laughs) them in only writing these two endings. And I had to be like, oh, I just assume players will see that those are the bad things that could happen and try something else. But so then I had to go in there and write explicitly, players can try other things, (laughs) which is, uh,
1: yeah, it's an interesting... Brain shifts. It is, and it's not. It's not really got anything to do with the actual games texts themselves. Like as systems, it's entirely to do with play culture and expectations. Because mm-hmm. you can run Five E or Pathfinder in an OSR way, and I've done it. Um, and a large portion of that is just good GMing and teaching players to interact with the fiction in more meaningful ways, um, which is hard to do. in text which is why i think although i have some i think principia apocrypha is a very flawed book but i really appreciate what it's trying to do um which i have big thoughts about what we can we can get to that whenever we need to
2: yeah i think there's like a, a i don't know a little an ancient brain cell has been activated um and i feel like there's an important thing there around like interacting with the fiction versus like being in character (laughs) because i think a lot of like the language of interacting with the fiction is very intentionally different than being in character right like those are those are very different ways to play and i feel like the sometimes i don't know that the difference between them is like well articulated in these kinds Mm -hmm. of documents because i can see people but also myself coming from like trad games where there is an expectation of constantly being in character and that being like well i am interacting with the fiction i'm in character (laughs) and i don't think that's what that means for the most part um because in character is often I don't know, there's something that I feel like I've, in my experience, when when players and GMs are more focused on being in character and being in those, like, theatrical moments, there is less of a focus on actually, like, looking at what is happening and trying to figure something out. You know, like, there's yeah. more of a, like, emotional relationship to the fiction at hand than uh, a problem-solving. Relationships yeah, and I think
1: the fiction, the focus of the fiction is different. Like, I think in trad, the fiction is more focused on who your character is, and the fiction of OSR games is more focused on what is happening to your character.
0: Yeah, those TPKs were just the characters developing an emotional relationship to your deadly sludge reader. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I killed so many characters the first time I ran a funnel. (laughs) Good, good. That's the point.
1: That's That's the point point of a funnel. Uh. Yeah. I've been having this, because, you know, the attempt to define like what is OSR, what is, what are story games, what are trad is always going to be difficult because there's so much overlap. Um, But the distinction I've been using recently, which I think sort of holds up, is that um, it's, it's in where the focus of the game lies, so, and this is reflected both in like the way GMs prep games, the way players make characters, even the way kind of product lines are built by publishers. Um, I think Trad cares about characters more than anything else. Um, it cares about like the world, obviously, and the GM like preps the world or buys a module that preps the world, but it cares mostly about character, and players spend a lot of time building characters. Um, and, you know, you plan your builds across multiple levels and you write backstories and you figure out how your characters all connect to each other in the world before you actually sit down as a group and tell a story. And, like, all that prep that you did as players kind of informs the prep that the GM does as well. And it informs how consequences and things play out in the game because players have this kind of almost, like, arc that they want to see their characters play out, right? Right. Um, Which is why, sort of, you get these discussions about, like, I'm doing air quotes when I say arbitrary character death, and (laughs) players don't want their characters to die, again, in air quotes, a meaningless death in, like, a fight against a random monster, because that's not how their story's meant to go, and that's why you get into concerns about, like, encounter balance and etc., um and because we care so much about characters in trad you see products that get released with like new character options and new ways for players to express themselves through character and explore their characters and everything that like, the gm and the publisher does is sort of in service of that and again this sounds i think i always sound critical when i say this but i'm not there's no value judgment here um and because I of this some. i have some <laughs> value judgment <laughs> excellent um yeah i think the way this gets expressed in play is that players interact players express themselves and their character primarily through interacting with the game systems as mechanics like everything they need to know about their character is sort of mechanized in some way and if it doesn't exist as a discrete chunk of rules then you probably can't do it because if you could do that without having rules for it then that steps on the toes of another character who's picked the bits of rules that let them do that if that makes sense.
0: Like you take the persuasive feat instead of trying yeah. to act persuasive. Exactly. For
1: instance. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like weirdly was...
2: anti character I don't know. I have some thoughts about like the difference between leaning towards theatricality versus like gamification but it never actually mm-hmm. like my like large thoughts about it never actually solidify as being applicable because then you get into something like a trad game where I I feel like it's it's theory it's like it's like play theory is about being theatrical theatrical and like almost improv based and you hear that a lot when people talk about it like oh yeah you got to go to improv to be a good dnd player or whatever and you're like mm. right but you don't you got to min max to be a good dnd player <laughs> like this and those are so different right like the fact that you can min max to me really yeah. is like well you're there is a best there is a best way to play dnd in the rules, as the in the rules is written, right, which is not necessarily how we play it. There is, there a, is a way, way to play. win D anD D rules yeah. as
1: written, and, and that like... is why we all do not mourn the passing of the third edition WotC forums because they were a hell site where people <laughs> played to win. And it
2: and it might be just <laughs> like shout a out, lot of my shout out shout out to N World yeah. turning the torch, keeping
1: the dream alive. Shout out to a Giant in the Playground. <laughs>
2: uh, and it might be a lot of my like personal backlash because I feel like I'll, frequently when I was playing a lot of trad games part of the appeal for me was the gamification elements like was the Mm -hmm. puzzle designing and solving within a really rigid system because that does that is fun for me as a person so i bet you
1: really liked i bet you really liked fourth edition
2: (laughs) i this is so funny i skipped fourth edition so i had no (laughs) idea (laughs) I, I love 4th edition. Yeah, edition. I
1: skipped it. I only read it for the first time this year or last year, and it's fucking great. I'm going yeah, really it for the great. first
0: time
2: at the end of this season. <laughs>
0: I played it's for years. Game. Yeah, Chris, your thread on it is really good. Track it down on Twitter. Oh, thank you. I forgot um, about that,
1: actually. Aaron's Nick? favorite game. Fourth it's just not my favorite game.
0: But <laughs> I, re- I played it for a year or two. I really enjoyed it.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. I wonder it definitely I... leans further into the, the game part of role playing game.
2: Yeah, and I I wonder if I, like, wouldn't have bailed on D&D so hard if I hadn't skipped it, you know? Like, if I'd just, like, if I'd gone, because I was was really big into uh, Uh. 3.5, and then upgraded to 5e at some point, and then it's like, I fucking hate this, and left. Uh, And I wonder if I had gone actually into 4th, and then... If I would have not just left d if I would have been like no I only play fourth edition <laughs> now <laughs> uh, but yeah I think I as a person who like is not super I've said this a number of times but I'm like not super theatrical I'm not actually playing games to do soft theater <laughs> I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a theater kid it doesn't feel comfortable I don't love it as a, I love playing games though and I love puzzle solving and I love like actually interacting with mechanics which always feels like OSR has a little bit more support for me in yeah. this weird abstract way. I
1: I'm the same like when I I've played a lot of trad um and I still play a lot of trad and one of the things I really struggle with is the whole idea of like bringing a fully fleshed character to the table and then inhabiting that character. Um I'm so bad at it. I really I really struggle with that. And so one of the reasons that I was drawn to OSR style play is because that focus that I was talking on about earlier is more on like the world than the characters themselves and so you you can just turn up with a character who is sort of a bunch of numbers and a blank slate and you you learn who that character is through playing them for a very long time and seeing you know how they sort of develop in play and a lot of that is in by interacting with like the problems that arise during play not even not even really from a mechanical standpoint, because a lot of the time you're just kind of looking at it and going, right, there's a door here that doesn't have a key and we need to be on the other side of it. And I've got a duck and a shovel on my character sheet. How are we going to solve this problem? Um, and that feels like a much more, to me, a much more natural way to play games. Um,
2: It's, which is so funny because it's such a less mechanical problem. Like it's such a more, to me, it's so much more focused on actual problem solving, which in my mind is using like my puzzle brain, but I'm so used to associating puzzles with having really strict rule systems in order to be successful. And it's kind of the opposite of that. I find it very compelling as an idea. It just like even because it's so hard to define makes it more compelling as an idea because yeah it's
1: really it's really interesting and you can do it with a very rules heavy system um like i ran pathfinder 2 for six months running the abomination vaults um adventure path Uh, and i had a very sort of like osr style play style group um but perversely what that meant was that a lot of the times when they tried to solve problems creatively we actually just sort of like set the rules aside even though there probably were rules for them um, like I remember the the bit the kind of example I always go to is there's one section on I think the second floor of Abomination Vaults where there's what is effectively a, a corridor filled with laser beams except they're like fantasy laser beams so it's fucking spells and the players started asking me like oh, cool cool what are the doors like what are the hinges like on the doors and they ended up taking these doors off their hinges and using them as a big like shields to walk down this corridor um and i'm sure that if i looked in the 600 pages of rules for pathfinder 2 i would find you know the ac and the <laughs> right. hardness these doors the,
0: have a hardness they save yeah. versus yeah, yeah yeah
1: what's the fortitude save of a wooden door etc um and we could have played that out with a focus on how the rules say it should play out and i think that would still be an old school style of play because they didn't look to the rules to solve the problem they solved the problem based on the realities of the world that they were inhabiting and then we looked we would have looked at the rules to see how it played out if that if that makes sense but in reality what happened was i said that's fucking hilarious that's really cool yes that works and we we played so um,
2: so, sli- so smooth so, and so it also creates
0: fun consequences because then if they are retreating or
1: trying to find a safe place all of a sudden there's no doors left that's exactly what and happened it's like, there uh, was a monster God. at the end of that corridor and suddenly there were no doors for them to slam in his face <laughs> I love
0: it um, we're coming up on an hour Wow, we, we could keep going yeah, we, we could yeah, wrap we it up going. I feel like we just started I'm happy we've barely talked about the book <laughs> um To bring us back to the book, a thing that I like uh, is random tables. I think Max also likes random tables. Um, Mm -hmm. I've used them and really enjoyed them. And something I see a lot on the internet, a dangerous and poisonous place, is someone going, why would you even use random tables? It doesn't make any sense that some wolves would just appear and you'd have to kill them before you can move on. And then people spend a lot of time trying to get where that person is and bring them back to where their brain is and try to explain (laughs) what random tables might be used for. And so in this book, there's (laughs) leave leave them to the wolves, um, use random tables to keep the game fresh. The surprising twists that random tables add can bring an energy and mystery to the game that is hard to improvise. So those are like two, to me, pretty dense sentences. Mm -hmm. Um, I think later on they also mention that like random tables are for the ref, like fun surprises for the ref in the way that the adventure or the fiction of the world is a fun surprise to the other players. Yes. Um I don't know. Yeah, I just am saving this quote now to paste in whenever someone asks <laughs> why would you even use random tables?
1: Yeah. And it's the thing is that they don't have to be like people hear the word random and think, oh, Completely nonsense, unconnected to anything. Um, but you know, you can write your own random tables that are fully connected to the world that you've prepped, or you can grab ones that fit. And it's it's less about often it's less about the content of the tables than it is how they interact with all the other all the other rules that you're I going to use. I was just going to say, like
0: encounter distance, reaction rolls. Yes. Once That's you connect like... all that stuff, these yeah. are ways to generate uh, something that simulates a living ecology
1: sort of. That's why I've always said that like 2d6 goblins is the only encounter you ever really need because (laughs) you combine 2d6 goblins with a surprise check, a reaction roll, an encounter distance and maybe morale if it turns into fight and you, you know, you describe it with what they are doing in the fiction and you combine it with what they're doing in the fiction and you've got infinite encounters like 2d6 goblins on a smoke break is a very, very different encounter to 2d6 goblins with big nets hunting a giant mole.
0: Right. 2d6 goblins roasting their food at a campfire that you can see from far away and they can't see you. All of a sudden, it's you're getting yeah. that problem-solving stuff going on. Versus
1: 2d6 goblins under the floorboards that you don't know are there. That's Yeah, I think people... Something that I think happens a lot when people talk about particularly OSR games, but also 5e, actually, when people are very disparaging about these sort of games on Twitter, is that often they don't have any experience of play or they're not talking (laughs) about it from an experience of play. And so, yes, you can look at an OSR game and be like, oh, XP for gold, gold for XP. XP for gold incentivizes violence. All you're going to do is go into a dungeon and kill everything, which on its face sounds true, But when you combine it with all the other moving parts of the system and the philosophies of play and the thing, the fiction that contextualizes play, it's not true.
2: I mean, even just combining it with the idea that most of the things guarding the treasure will kill you if you try and fight them. Like, like, even just a single block.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And they're probably part of a faction in the dungeon who you may or may not have a relationship with. Do you want to piss off that faction by killing the first people you met to steal some gold? Because I can tell you in our Wednesday D&D game, we're at war with some gnomes and the doppelgangers we've been avoiding for a year have just obliterated our entire friendship group. Um, Entirely as a consequence of our very early, very foolhardy actions. (laughs) And nobody feels good about it. And we're not (laughs) killing everything that we meet in that dungeon because it goes horribly wrong. (laughs)
2: Well, there's that com- like there's a conversation in here somewhere around like combat, like treat combat how you would in real life, right?
1: It's yeah, a war, a not a sport. About combat as sport versus combat as war, which is one of the sections where I think it create it, it. I've completely lost my ability to form a sentence. It's one of the sections in the book where it it falls back into assuming some knowledge that a the intended audience of this book maybe it doesn't have because
2: yeah, me, the person who knows anything about war, <laughs> right, like, yeah, it says like, what think, think
1: like soon Tzu, and it's like, <laughs> <"Please>, <laughs> think, please, oh, I gotta go read a, another book now. That's such a G plus thing to write, <laughs> right? Oh, um, because yeah, the concept of con- combat as sport and combat as war is very much a a concept that I think has arisen in OSR circles, and if you're not in those circles. You probably don't know what that means and the book doesn't really explain it very well
2: it's also the opposite of think about how you would in the real world for most people like combat as Mm. war and combat as sport is a thing that does not touch most of the people who are playing and writing these games in any real way right like that's not and not that there aren't a lot of people who actually really experience war as a very real thing probably more than people who experience combat as sport as a real thing but that's not who most i don't think that's a lot of who these books are talking yeah. to because I think there's like no. kind of an assumed western white guy thing happening Definitely, here yeah. uh, and I don't think they mean <laughs> war how it <laughs> currently manifests in the world either no. right like and it's just so different that I actually think the advice of think about it how you would in real life is much more valuable than think about it as war versus sport right like yeah. I it's only because D&D that I would think oh if there's a bunch of treasure I have to kill everything to get to it it's not other games that make me think that way, right? Like the no. statement on Twitter of like oh, if, there's, if, there's, if everything's about treasure, then I'm just going to murder everything is only because that's what D&D tells you to do. Right.
1: How many people did Indiana Jones kill across those four or five <laughs> films? Not many. <laughs> He's hunting treasure the whole time. That's
2: only because that is the win condition of the Dungeons and Dragons mechanics: is to kill, the <laughs> thing, right? Like, and it's and and if I think about it, how I would in the real world, I am extremely conflict averse as a human being. Yeah. I would like to not ever punch something in the face yeah. in response to not getting punched the because I've been hit in the, the face thing. really yeah.
1: hard, and it's not fun. So I, I, I avoid not, it.
2: I do not enjoy physical pain for the most part i know a lot of people who do and that's a whole different thing but that is also not what they're thinking when they walk into a a dragon on a horde of of (laughs) fucking treasure or whatever uh some of them are shout out to the monster fuckers but like (laughs) it's a different like that is not a physical sensation that i go hunting down or whatever no uh and so, assuming like I am for sure gonna think theft first, if you ask me, Max, how are you going to get this gold that this other thing has i'm going to be like i'm gonna steal that i''m, I'm yeah. here for I'm here for theft
1: for one theft. of the one of the principles you hear a lot among like osr players that isn't actually doesn't show up in this strangely, which kind of ties into the combat thing is the whole idea of like combat as a failure state mm. um, yes. where like yeah it's you know the fight happens because Either you've failed to explore other options properly or you've run out of other options and you still need to go, you know, you still need to achieve that goal and the only other option is fighting. Um, and I think, like, in my experience of play, that tends to be much more true. Um, we, or every group I play in sort of actively avoids getting into a fight if we can at all help it, because it's much more fun to make friends with the weird little people in the dungeon as well. It's <laughs> well, much the... more fun to have weird little freaks to talk to and make your GM do a silly voice, and your GM can't think up a name, so you call the weird wolf person with a skull mask Arnold, and he's got to stick with that for the rest of the campaign. Like That's way more fun.
0: The closest I think this gets is the character sheet is mostly there for when players make a mistake, mm. which I really love as a quote. Again... Yes. Um, the idea that you don't have to look at all those numbers until you are making a saving throw or in a fight, both of yep. which occur because you've messed up. But I, yeah, again, the the this document like hints at a lot of things without explaining them or giving examples. Yeah, I also I was going to like counter
2: sorry. that one a little bit when I read that. I was like, yes, as a player, I love occasionally ignoring my character sheet, but as a game designer I love looking at the little mechanical bits and choosing to pull a lever.
1: So this is this again gets back to what my big soapbox thing earlier about the difference in focus I think between trad and OSR and how that manifests itself in like productization and the way you write things as a designer because because the character sheet is less important, and characters, characters aren't less important, but how characters are expressed mechanically are less important, um, what becomes more important is the world and the things that inhabit that world. And so as a, like as a game designer, for example, when you're writing a product or building a product line, the things you build tend to be more GM-facing than player-facing um you know like encounter locations, adventures, um dungeons and settings rather than player options. And because there are fewer player options available when you're actually playing the game, even though like like I, I fucking love board games. I love fiddling around with mechanics and seeing how mechanical systems interact and stuff, which is why I enjoy playing 5e and Pathfinder. Um, But when I play an OSR game, because the option isn't there, really, to look at my character sheet and go, which little set of rules can I utilize here, the desire sort of disappears as well. Um, I've completely lost the thread of this thought, so someone please cut me off.
2: Oh, I think, I mean, I, I think it's, like, I think it's just a, it simplifies something overly as a statement because for me there is this like when I think I think yes when from a design standpoint you're thinking about the world and fun cool things in the world and for me when I think about like the best moments I've had playing OSR games it is when you're like we have a locked door and I have a duck in my inventory and looking at my inventory is the thing that made that moment really fun right like looking directly at my character sheet in response to what's happening in the fiction is the fun problem solving part and I think it like it's it's much simpler than, what are these seventeen feats that I have? But I feel like maybe and maybe it is just exclusively inventory that counters that statement for me because I feel like so much of the fun for me in like discovering OSR play is in inventory because that's where there is like definitely
1: an idea of like inventory as character, and I think I think actually explicitly says you are what you own or something like that in the character creation section um because yeah it's like dcc level one funnel characters are very much level zero funnel characters even are entirely defined by what stupid items you got given
2: well it's also like i love tunnel goons and tunnel goons is very similar it's like so good i need i need that pointy stick or i need that you know fancy hat or whatever like that is what will make me survive um and maybe it is so maybe it is just about it being a very simplified version of that but for me the character sheet is i think there just is some part of me that's like i'm playing a game for the game's mechanics and Uh every once in a while descriptions of osr get a little bit too far into the game doesn't matter and i'm like actually the game still really matters to me (laughs) yeah um they
1: turn into that sort of like fkr like What's the word that I really hate that people have started using on blogs? Blob, blobby, something like that. I don't even want to attempt to describe what that means. Yeah, but um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's this, a lot of OSR discussions almost turn into like, what's the way to formulate this that isn't going to create a huge amount of discourse? When people listen to it,
2: our audience is surprisingly small. No, also something about <laughs> something about podcasts make discourse happen less frequently. Only because we've true. said some contentious shit on <laughs> and have not gotten yelled at. But maybe you're popular think, enough that you'll get yelled at.
1: Maybe I get yelled at for the most mundane things. So. <laughs> um, I think people often hear people say the players in the group are more important than the system, and what they hear there is the system is entirely unimportant. And that's not what people are saying. And it's weird because when you talk about like safety tools and you say the group and the players are more important than the game, everyone knows exactly what you mean. You're not saying the game isn't more important. When you talk about, like, and obviously there's there's not a direct parallel, but when you're talking about systems and you say actually players, what happens at the table and the rules as a text are much less important than the people at the table people get really upset um and i don't know if that's because they've if you know we talked about people's identities being wrapped up in games i don't know if that's because their identity is game designer with a capital d and what they hear is you saying actually the designer doesn't matter or what um because obviously the systems that you're interacting with during a game are going to impact the way that game plays out
0: yeah, I mean, but I think if I, so. I sorry. like both of you. I think if I if I ran you the same scenario once using Tunnel Goons and once using Dungeon World, even if we like somehow magically averaged out the dice rolls to be somehow a match of success, quote unquote, versus failure, like you would be making different decisions because the yeah. system does impact those decisions. It does.
1: Like I've run Rot Black Sludge, the adventure in the back of Morkborg. I've run that. Like, it's double digits the amount of times I've run that. And I've only actually run it with Mokbog three or four times. And every other time it's been with, like, I've run it with Vanilla Game. I've run it with Troika. I've run it with second edition d and I've run it with Lancer. And it's different every time. Um, and obviously the system has an impact on that. Troika had a huge impact on that, <laughs> actually. Um but yeah, so no, nobody's actually saying the game system itself is irrelevant. They're just saying that the players and the group at the table are the thing that are going to have the most impact on your enjoyment of the game.
2: This is... I, this is the thing that I find the most interesting in, from a like stupid games academia view. <laughs> um... As like, just acknowledging that it's my weird, it's my weird niche. This is my whole, It's made for me. Um, the is like, a lot of my master's thesis dealt with the idea of this concept called um, brink games, which are like games that kind of you know when we think about games as a magic circle, which is like an academic term that gets thrown around a lot, um, as being like a place where consequences and rules of engagement are defined as separate than. Um, The real world. And then there's this other idea of things called brink games, which are games that kind of like intentionally occupy the boundary between magic circle space and real world space. which is where I think all interesting game design lives. (laughs) Um, But for video or like for digital or analog games, I think all of it kind of sits interesting there. But one of the things that for me became really interesting was like, well, if we're talking about this boundary space between like IRL and uh, gameplay space, and if we say things like the players are the most important part of the game, then we have to acknowledge, this is a soapbox I've stood on before, so I won't beleaguer it, but like, then we have to acknowledge... The power dynamics of those players Mm -hmm. and the power dynamics of their identities that are at play and how that has such a huge impact. Like this is mainly me calling out the OSR or like just, and not even just the OSR, but gamers in general being like, if you're gonna say the people make the game, then you have to care about the people. (laughs) And so few people do (laughs) not extend that to caring about the people. As, mm-hmm. as humans that exist with a multitude of experiences. Uh, and I always find that kind of that lack of extension of that idea to be really interesting. Because to me, if people make the game, then like you have to care about identity you have to care about oppression you have to care about all those things (laughs) um which are usually not like the only thing that actually takes that people are the most thing that matters are safety tool design that is the thing right and that's and i think that those can be integrated into games in a way in a better way than they frequently are um and i think game designers should be designing those safety tools into their game designs whether like implicitly or explicitly uh but like to me things like lines and veils is goes harder into that like what we're kind of identifying as an osr principle than most Mm -hmm. osr design in some weird way
1: no totally i get that and it's even things like the terminology you use to talk about games right like i think the term game master for example sets up a power dynamic at the table um and you'll see You'll see, in fact, I think Principia Apocrypha uses the term referee at one point, and I think that's a much, much better and more useful term to use to describe that role, both in terms of the role you're actually playing when you facilitate a game like this, and in terms of kind of making it clear that you are not, that power dynamic doesn't actually, isn't important or doesn't exist in the same way that. Titling yourself the game master kind of sets you up. Does that make any sense? Yeah.
0: Like if you watch wrestling, you can always just beat up the referee or do things behind their back.
1: (laughs) Like we've all watched, even if we don't enjoy sports, we've all watched sports, right? We all know what a referee is for. And that's someone who's there to keep the game moving, get it started again. If it gets held up to like adjudicate the rules and to know the rules well enough to be able to interpret them quickly and accurately And to maintain, like, impartiality and fairness and to, I guess, have the final say if rules questions come up. They're not there to be the boss of the game.
2: It's also, like, just a different qualification metric. Like, if you say, if you ask me, who do you want to be your GM or referee or facilitator based on they need to be really good at maintaining impartiality versus who do you want to be your GM or referee or whatever. They're really good at telling a story. Those people are different. Mm -hmm. Those are different people. (laughs) Like almost necessarily different, you know? Um, Absolutely, and we usually like, obviously, coming from trad spaces, the question is always the latter question, right? Like, oh, who's yeah. a really good storyteller? And I'm like, oh, oh, I don't give a shit. Who's fair? They should
1: be great at doing voices, and they should have access to really good sound boards that they can switch between seamlessly. They should have a nice house help. with
0: the best snacks and the fancy yep.
1: bubble waters. They should have an amazing set of minis and maps. <laughs> I feel really ashamed or of the great, they know how to voices. use roll twenty really well. I Say hate roll twenty. <laughs> I hate rolls away so much it's really bad uh i think there's a really interesting conversation to be had probably not here but um about the impact that streamed games have had on expectations of what home games look like yeah the mercer the mercer effect
2: it's yeah a, I, yeah i don't want
1: to blame okay. mercer specifically but
2: right. yeah but also it's his fault um i think it
1: actually is I think it's Will Wheaton's fault, Oh, that's actually. fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. Because the... Throw them all out. <laughs> what was it called? Titan's Grave came out before Critical Role, and that was a super slickly produced, like, edited series playing, I think, Dragon Age. Um, and then that, I think the fan base of that then found Critical Role. So, yeah, I blame Will Wheaton personally, but...
2: Yeah, I think we can have... We could remove them we both. We can have both. We, we can yeah, we both. can remove them both and have a, a healthier gaming environment. <laughs> a healthier gaming community.
1: Community. Uh, yeah,
2: I do think yeah. it's... And I think it's like... I just think they're, they're very different experiences, but usually when I say I want someone to tell me a really good story, not, not a part of that assessment is do I trust them with my own choices? No. Right? And like, when I want to play a game, it's do I trust them with my own choices? Yeah. And in fact, time. when
1: I want to play a game, I don't want to be told a story. Yeah. yeah. I actively don't want to be told a story.
2: Uh, I think it's interesting because I don't think there is a lot of... Because it is so chaotic... Because it's such a, like, the val- the value, the really great gaming experiences probably look really shitty from the outside. So they can't well, they be turned do. into a product in that same way. I was going to say, like, yeah. oh, we don't have good, you know, streamed examples of that in the same way. Like, we don't have large production, or we don't have a lot of, of you know, resources thrown at producing something that looks really good, that kind of shows the different kinds of play. And I'm like, well, probably it wouldn't no. look good anyway, even if we didn't. <laughs> probably
1: it would look weird. <laughs> yeah, because you see a lot of people wanting um they talk about narrative in games and like my academic focus has always been on like narratology and storytelling and things like that and the games that i play at least don't have a narrative they're just a series of events that happen at the table the narrativization happens away from the table when you've finished playing and you look back and you start to tell stories about the things that happened and put everything into context and i think this there's a drive from a lot of people to make story happen make story and narrative happen during play that personally i think is at odds with the nature of play itself um Don't
2: let the video especially
0: if you're just playing if you're just playing like a one shot or a short thing, or if you're playing with strangers, like if I'm going to play for two years with my very good friends, there will probably be some narrative response to what's going on. And like stories will build in a way close to a TV show or a novel or a play. But if I'm just playing with randos or it's just one short game, like I just want some weird stuff to happen that we can then talk about later. Remember when, you rolled and it was a critical success at the right moment. Blah blah blah. Like that is more fun than. Do you remember the the emotional arc of the Sludge River Porters? And yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm here. For, yeah.
2: Now i Now I will be looking forward to your future release, the Sludge yes. the Sludge River Porters.
1: I am actually very invested in that now. Yeah, now. Well, so <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. I'm a trad
2: gamer now. Give me you can find <laughs> you can
0: find the Sludge River Porters in in Chris Bissett's entry in arcadia magazine from mcdm the funnel 5e <laughs> you funnel you
1: can, you can, you can be heart. the sludge of yes. yeah actually. all
0: right we are at almost 90 minutes okay. five star runtime i have to take cool. a shower and get ready for work <laughs> unfortunately um was there any other i don't know final thoughts
1: god um i had so many thoughts about this book that we didn't get to, but that's fine. That's totally fine. <laughs> Turn I it into a blog
0: post. Sell it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I absolutely
1: will. Bars. I monetize this shit. <laughs> I think Prince Peter Apocrypha, to bring us back to ostensibly the reason we're here, I think it's a very well-intentioned text that doesn't deliver on what it wants to deliver on, and that's fine. I think a lot of the way people run old-school games is very... There's a lot of mystique about it because it's been an oral tradition for a very long time. And what I would love to see is bring back play reports, man. Like, yes. I want to see people, I want to see GMs and designers not talking about big brain thoughts about how the principles of OSR gaming. What I want to see people do is write specifically about how they personally run a game because I think that's much more valuable. Like, I've been writing play reports of my board game and I get into like this is what I'm doing behind the table. These are the decisions I'm making while I play the game. Because I think when I started GMing, that's the kind of information that I really wish I'd had access to. Um, And I would I would love to see more people doing that. Right, personally. I called for
0: a reaction roll here. This was why... Yes, this was uh, what I rolled. This was just the, just the I result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would, yeah. also I love, would love
2: to see that. I would love it if that came in a little supplementary zine with things. It'd when be so released. good. I don't want it... I, I hate... Mm-hmm. I thing I've realized I hate is examples of play in between text explaining mm-hmm. rules, but an yep. optional thing at the end of something I'm here for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I found, I well, found the document generally like kind of interesting and a little bit inspiring to think about how I write games more than how uh, I play them actually.
1: Yeah. Like I think it's fine. It's, it's, it's my brain's disappeared again. Um, it's so it's it's fine but it's so broad it's meaningless in places yeah
2: yeah that makes sense usually we do a i'm segueing us look at me aaron i'm, I'm doing things um I, aaron is usually responsible for structure and i'm usually like way off the rails um usually <laughs> we have like an appendix n where we talk about things to read adjacent to this but i feel like it might be really hard with this because often we talk I about like fiction this, oh I,
1: got I have one, one for this. great yeah do
2: it i do not great
1: do you want to go first? Aaron? I'll go first
0: because then you can do that and then tell everyone where to find you again. Um, mine is my favorite piece of like collected nonfiction. It's called A Handbook of Disappointed Fate by Anne Boyer. Um, and it's a collection of a bunch of her nonfiction early writings. Um, so there's like one of my favorite pieces that I'm pretty sure I've referenced here is called No. And it's this kind of poetic ode to doing nothing and to denying people and stuff. It's beautiful. You can search and Boyer or no and find it. It's free online. But then there's also just like, here's a page and a half meditation on the song ball with the Bob by kid rock. Um, what? And why I bring it up is because she's a very interesting writer. She's a very specific writer. You can tell her style, even though the subjects are very different, even though the length and format is very different Um, this is her kind of defining and bringing forth her style. And I think that's just so useful if you are in an artistic or artistic adjacent field to try to read a bunch of different things, but also just try to write a bunch of different things, like write an OSR adventure, write a how to play report, write something like this and like then put them all together and, uh, you know, let your style emerge from that. And let someone kind of see who you are through this collection of many posts and many uh,
1: formats. Awesome. I'm gonna buy that immediately. It's so good. I let me know what you think. I love I it. I will.
0: Uh, Max, did you have anything or you're passing on this no,
2: one? No, I thought of I thought of nothing.
1: All right, Chris, <laughs> take us out. Cool. Um so mine was more mine's actually films, um, which I think are very good examples of what OSR-style play often looks like. Um, and they are Yojimbo, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, yes. and Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars, which is effectively a remake of Yojimbo, because it's an OSR adventure. You've got two factions. You've got a guy who turns up, throws himself into the the tensions between the factions, and things just emerge out of a world that already existed, and didn't care about him until he showed up, and that's what OSR Play is. Uh, but also, you've got two versions of the same story there, that are, have the same framework, but are very, very different, which are great examples of how it's... I'm really stretching labour in this point here, but they're really great examples of, like, how the people that you play with make so much difference to the core material that you're using. Um, they're also just both really fucking great films. And Also,
0: oh, so when people fight, they die very violently.
1: When people <laughs> fight, they die very violently.
0: It's a high-consequence yeah. world, and, both
1: of those. And it's, not, it's never meaningless. Right. Yes, they die violently, and I guess arbitrarily, but it's not meaningless. And people, I,
0: I haven't seen Fistful of Dollars in a long time, but I recently rewatched watched Yojimbo know, and Sanjuro... And the fear that people have of fighting in that, I think, yeah. is very useful. Like people get intimidated, people stand down, people get yeah. scared, um, and then people learn how to abuse that fear uh, in interesting ways.
1: My, my horrible brain that wants me to do so many things has just said, "Do a fan cam of your Jimbo, but put dice over the top for reaction morale rolls." No. It sounds like a
2: really good TikTok bit. But... Uh, yes, I was going to say that exact thing.
1: No. Uh, yeah, watch your Jimbo. Um, you'll you'll get a lot out of it. It's great.
0: Chris, where can people find you? What should they look for
1: of yours? They can find me on the Twitters at Pangalactic. Um, I have a newsletter on Substack. It's ChrisPaset.substack.com. I haven't written one. It's meant to be monthly. I haven't written one for a while because last time I wrote one, someone emailed me and said, hey, Chris, don't forget you've got to fulfill your Kickstarter. And I'm like, I have not forgotten. I have not forgotten that, I promise you. Nobody is more aware of that than I am. (laughs) Um, But now I don't want to put out another newsletter until that's done because I don't want to field those sorts of emails anymore. Um, But I have just released two games. Uh, One is a story game in a split zine with Adam Vass, World Champ Games Co. Uh, we both wrote horror games about bands playing shows and shit going horribly wrong. Um, Adam's is called No Future. Mine's called Heavy Steps on Hollow Ground. And they come in a, a split zine with printed back-to-back in the same book, against back-to-back with each other. They're really cool. Um, Adam's is based is a Brindlewood Bay hack. Mine's a Ten Candles hack. Um, and I think they're really fun. Um, You should buy that. And I've also just released my new adventure for Morkborg, which is called the Chapel of the Hanged God, which is a weird point crawl through the valley of the unfortunate undead where geography won't stand still in order to find the living avatar of an ancient god in a horrible church at the middle of it. it's also very good if i say so myself the perfect um, month to
0: get both of these spooky scary things yeah
1: it's almost like it was planned that way <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh cool well thank you so much uh to the listeners we have a discord if you're not there already there's a link in the show notes uh it's good i have a good time there wow <laughs> i don't know wow the comments it. it's not- good but yeah. I mean it,
2: I don't know It's true we're gonna start a I'm doing it. I'm starting a weird little West Barches game probably this week uh, on a game that I'm working on so we're gonna we're gonna do that. come play games with us uh, um, do you have a quote? yeah Aaron
0: No because I'm still busy. I'm still ending the podcast uh <laughs> patreon.com slash rtfm uh we release episodes on the off weeks. We just did a really long one about classics and cult classics and how to define them and if any rpgs apply um and this is our 50th episode so if you have listened to all 50 go tell someone else to listen to them social media is dying word of mouth or write a zine about us and give it away to people
1: i'm gonna write a zine about read the fucking manual (laughs) uh
0: no i share all my favorite quotes uh I guess my least favorite quote is the OSR shouldn't be misconstrued as chasing a sense of nostalgia. God.